Well, hi everyone, I'm Gareth, I'm an associate minister here, and it's great to be with you this evening. Uh, God is really here, I can just really feel that, I'm just really excited to see what he's going to do here this evening. We're continuing a series that we've been looking at over the last few weeks called Sense, where we're focusing on our calling as believers to reach the lost for Christ. And this week, we're going to think about the compassion that God has for the lost, So that is going to be our theme this evening, the compassion that God has for the lost. And so if you would like to grab a Bible and just turn to Luke 15, which you can find on page 1048. Whilst you're just busy turning there, there is this idea or perception that Christianity is for nice, good people. The kind of people who are religious and the kind of people who go to church regularly and have a certain level of morality and self-discipline that would be hard to attain for others. And I think often this perception isn't helped by the fact uh, that there's a kind of a subculture that we all kind of live in in church. Uh, We can tend to be quite inward looking, living in our own little bubble. God help us when we end up in our little holy huddles and, and speaking all the Christian lingo. And I'm talking to myself as well, by the way. Like, if you'd have told me in my early 20s that by the time I got into my 30s, most of my mates would be vicars, I would have been shocked. But the average person on the street looking in and looking in at this thinks, I'm not like that. You know, that's not my world. You know, I'm not a nice Christian person. I'm I'm never going to be good enough for God. And I remember a few years back, an old mate of mine, who was, he got really wrapped up in, in really bad things, and he, he was drug dealing and things like that. And he said to me, you know, Gareth, if I, if I went into church, I'd burst into flames because my life is so bad. But I managed to convince him, and he did go to church. And, and funnily enough, he didn't burst into flames. Instead, he got saved and gave his life to Christ, and he's walking with the Lord now. Amen. See, Christ changes lives. That's what the gospel is about. It's about changing lives. And what the gospel writer Luke is going to say in just two verses is going to completely smash that perception that that Christianity is for nice people to pieces. And I just want to start by reading the first two verses of Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the laws muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. What a, what a powerful way to start that. And it's hard to explain in 2019 just what a despicable lowlife a tax collector was in first century Palestine. I guess the closest thing we might come to now would be some kind of rich drug baron living in a huge mansion, making a fortune out of people's addictions that's just kind of funding their lavish lifestyle and all the brokenness that goes with that. Now, tax collectors, they weren't just extorting money off other people, like extorting money off their own Jewish people, but they were actually actively helping to fund the Roman Empire's army, which was murdering and oppressing their people. So you can imagine that. They're just kind of sitting there, happily making a profit, whilst they're helping to raise funds for this military machine that is killing and oppressing people. I think in 2019, in this age of outrage, if this was going on, Twitter would be lit up with outrage about this, the injustice and the oppression that was going on. So I guess you can kind of see why tax collectors were hated so much and considered really as social trash. So Luke mentions tax collectors and sinners. And so with referring to sinners, the gospel writer Luke is essentially referring to all those people who had broken the Mosaic law. 
those people who were guilty, who were outed and known as being guilty. So in that group, you might, you might add prostitutes, adulterers, thieves. Those were essentially outcasts. And then you had the religious people and the Pharisees, the religious people who, um, they were really put out by the fact that Jesus wasn't just kind of like humoring and tolerating these people. You know, he wasn't doing that thing that we do as Brits where you sort of smile and walk backwards. That kind of, yeah, please go away. He wasn't kind of just being sort of being tolerating them and being polite. He was actually welcoming them to himself. You know, they're like, don't encourage them. Why are you welcoming them? Why are you spending time with them? Why are you eating with them? Like the, the, the religious people, they kind of thought that Jesus should shun the tax collectors and sinners and he should go to the religious people and give them a big pat on the back for being so religious and so pious. And yet what we see is the opposite happens. Jesus, in fact, welcomes the sinners, the outcasts, and he rebukes the religious people. And so that's the first thing that we're going to see, that Jesus actively welcomes sinners to himself. He is concerned for the lost. He looks for the lost. He goes after the lost. And the other thing that we learn is that religious people resent the grace and forgiveness that Christ offers. Now, religious people, deep down, they you know, really kind of think that God is in their debt because they're so religious that God somehow owes them something. And yet, in this chapter in Luke 15, Jesus is going to tell the Pharisees three different parables, all with the same theme and message, lost and found. A shepherd who loses his sheep, the woman who loses a silver coin, and a father who loses a son. And in these parables, we're going to learn something very important about the character and nature of God. And so this evening, I would just like to focus on just the first parable, the parable of the lost sheep. I'm just going to start reading from, or continue reading from verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. So firstly, just before we look at the character and nature of God, let's just have a, a look at the character and nature of humanity. Let's just kind of bring it down to the ground level for a moment. Now firstly, the Bible says that all of us, every one of us, is created for a relationship with God. You're only truly secure when you're in relationship and walking in obedience with the God who created you. It is walking in obedience with God that brings total fullness of joy. But the problem is that ever since Adam and Eve disobeyed God, humanity has this bent, this leaning towards wandering away from God, and as a result, being spiritually lost. The prophet Isaiah says that we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. That's something that sheep are renowned for doing. Now, I don't know how much uh, experience you've had in kind of like rural places. I was brought up in, in Oxfordshire, so my parents live literally 10 minutes away from farms and things. So you'll go walking across a field, and you'll see a, a field of sheep, and there'll be like a little hole in the hedge, and you'll see there's probably about two or three sheep that are already in the next field eating the farmer's corn. That's what they do. They wander off. They don't like to sort of like stay in one place. 
And they're quite brainless sheep. They're quite stupid. They don't recognize that they actually need to be together. They're actually safer together in numbers. And that's the thing we know about sheep. They're, they're pretty stupid. I mean, they're cute, but they're pretty brainless. And in fairness, you know, they are renowned for their wool, not their brains. In fairness to sheep. But you know, the thing is, I love, you know, you laugh, but I love the fact that the Bible compares us to sheep. Like, ouch. Does that hurt a bit? Like, we are compared to sheep. Because just like sheep, we're prone to wandering away from God and doing really stupid things. Like, we'll just follow the crowd and the culture, whatever is currently fashionable. You know, we'll, we'll often, if you ask someone who's doing something really stupid, you know, you might say to them, why are you lying face down in a puddle of your own vomit at four o'clock in the morning? And I say, oh, I don't know, that's what everyone else does. There's just a sense of what, you have sense, surely you can see that this is not good for you. Oh, well, I'm just following the crowd. And that's what we do. We are often so easily led. You only need to see one kind of social leader, one kind of leader of the pack in a group of people. Everybody just does what they do. And sheep are vulnerable. They need looking after. They need to be in a flock with a shepherd. They don't do well on their own. And spiritually, we're all the same. We need to belong to the body of Christ, the church. We need to be shepherded by our church leaders under the authority of Christ. And in Bible times, shepherds cared for their sheep more like people look after their pets today. They knew them, knew them by name, which is amazing. They actually knew their, their sheep by name, and they'd call them out individually out of the sheep pen. They didn't have sheep dogs like we have today. They didn't have, just leave sheep in a field like, like a farmer would do in, in modern times now. They'd call the sheep out of the sheep pen into the open field to graze. They would lead them to the, the, the river to drink water. And then as it was getting dark, they'd collect them all back into the pen and count them and make sure that they had all of them present and correct. They'd also protect them from wild animals that might attack. But if a sheep wandered off, that was a real problem because a lost sheep was in real danger. It could, anything could happen to it. It could fall off a cliff edge to its death. It could die of exposure. It could be attacked by a wild animal. But in the same way that a lost sheep is in real danger, being spiritually lost puts us in real danger. Wandering away from God and being spiritually lost puts us in real danger. And I just want to just briefly give three different consequences of being lost. The first being that when, we're, when we wander away from God, being spiritually lost means being separated from God's perfect love. And being separated from God's perfect love means you just end up wandering aimlessly through life with this deep longing and aching of the heart and yet never actually finding the peace that comes from having that deep longing met. Because that means, you know, all your life decisions, all your big life decisions are going to be made up of various attempts to satisfy that deep longing of the heart only to realize that you're going through life just going from one mirage to the next Life without God is like wandering around a desert, desperate for a drink and never finding any water. In Psalm 23, King David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. God restores your soul. Only God can bring peace and deep healing to your soul. Only God can mend a broken heart. 
How often do you see people going from relationship to relationship, from marriage to marriage, hoping that they'll find that person who's going to mend their heart, and it doesn't work because only God can mend a broken heart. Only God can restore you and satisfy you. It's God's love that we need. So to be spiritually lost means that you are separated from the only relationship that can truly satisfy. But also, if you're spiritually lost, when you've wandered away from God, you're easy prey for the devil to, and completely open to temptation. I'm sad to say I've seen several Christian marriages ruined because one, one of the couple just, just wandered away from God and, and got snared into temptation and, and cheated on their spouse and ended up a long way from God. We don't understand the emotional power of sin and temptation until it hits us. And the only way that we stay safe from that is to stay close to God, to walk close to him. Because when you're walking close to God, he is, Christ is more beautiful than the most enticing thing the world might offer. That's the only way that we're safe. When we wander away from God, we open ourselves up to temptation. But also, thirdly, when, when we're spiritually lost, it also means we're in real danger of losing our soul itself. Now, hardly anyone talks about this. You know, people just assume that, that you, you know, you're just a body and a brain. That's just what that people think. But that's not the case at all. You are not just your body and your brain. That's a lie that we're constantly being sold. Your body will age and eventually perish. You will at some point suffer ill health and lose your strength. And at some point, we all have to die. But every single one of us has a soul. That is your very self. That's what makes you, you. Whatever age you are, whatever, whatever's going on in your life, you are you. That's not going to change. You are completely unique. You are loved deeply by God, by the God who created you. And the Bible is concerned about losing our very soul. Earlier on in Luke chapter 9, Jesus says, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and, and yet lose or forfeit their very self? The great tragedy is in this great search for the, to, to find that which would satisfy the deep longing of the heart. People reject God and go after all kinds of things when the source of all love is calling them to him. They make a decision to, to be drawn by their own fallen compulsions and, and consume all kinds of worldly desires instead of denying themselves and following after Christ. But in rejecting Christ and going after the world, we not only fail to satisfy the deep longing that's there, but we also lose our soul itself. And Jesus warns time and time again about the very real danger of a person's soul being lost for eternity. And that's the problem. Humanity was created for a relationship with God. We have disobeyed and rebelled against him, which means that being separated from God creates this great chasm between sinful humanity and God that we can just never possibly get across. So without Christ, we're dead in our sins, and not only that, we're cut off from the only source of life and love and facing a lost eternity. In fact, we are the very definition of lost. So that's the fallen mess that humanity is in. That's what, what it's like on the ground. But now let's think about the character and nature of God that we see in this parable. The shepherd leaves the 99 sheep and goes after the lost sheep. 
I don't know if you've ever lost anything of real value, and you just, I'm sure most of us have at some point, you just experience that kind of panic, that kind of, that kind of fear of it might get stolen, it might get broken, it might get damaged. I might not be reunited with this piece of property that's of great value. I remember when I was at university, a mate of mine lost a really expensive acoustic guitar, and we went everywhere around the university trying to find it. And eventually, when he found this guitar, he ran up to the guitar case and hugged it. Like he was so relieved to, get, to get, be reunited with his guitar. And yet, how much more is God concerned for a lost soul? And notice, notice this shepherd here. He, he, doesn't, he, he knew that he's missing a sheep. And he doesn't just kind of go, oh, well, I've still got 99. That'll do. No, he grabs his cloak and his staff and he goes off looking for the lost sheep. That sheep is his property. He's concerned about it. He's not going to rest until he finds it. And he's not going to give up looking for it. And it's because God is so concerned about lost souls that we should also have that same deep concern for the lost and take the opportunity whenever we have it, whenever it presents itself. Just to share a story from when I, when I first arrived at Theological College, I literally just arrived uh, and I met the principal and had a coffee with him. And, and he had a prophetic word for me. And he said, look, um, you need to spend time on your knees praying because God wants to say something specific to you. So one, one evening, I'd just been there a few days, I got on my knees one night and I prayed and asked God, okay, what do you want to tell me? And God gave me this picture of the harvest fields, ready for the harvest. And it's an absolutely vivid picture I had of just like a few people, just a small handful, I don't know, four or five people harvesting and there was a whole load of people, Christians, just hanging around on the side of the field, leaning on trees, chatting, just not doing anything. And God just said to me, I don't have enough harvesters. Like, what is the church doing? Like, like what are they doing? There's a small number of people who are harvesting and everybody else is just chatting. And, you know, and, and that, that picture just broke me and I, I just couldn't stop crying because I understood God's concern. Like God's saying, I'm really concerned about this and I'm letting you in on a secret, but the average person doesn't understand how much this bothers me and how much this concerns me. If you get close enough to God, you will catch that passion for the lost. If you get close enough to him, if you will, if you will just bow the knee and just let God do what he wants to do, you will be overwhelmed for the lost. The problem is there's a passivity that's crept into the church where we're just all fast asleep. God is deeply concerned for the lost. The Apostle Paul says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not, had not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How are they supposed to know if you don't go and tell them? And the problem is, often we're so afraid of, of upsetting or offending people. I don't know if you've ever had someone kind of say to you, oh, you know, I'll oh, stop preaching at me. And you kind of think, oh, I don't want to do that again. That's a bit embarrassing. But you know, really, preaching just means proclaim. I would suggest next time someone says, oh, please don't preach at me, you say, do you know what, I'm only going to do it the once, and then, and then, and then I, won't, I won't do it again. But I've got a mandate from God to tell you at least once. And if you don't want to know, that's absolutely fine. But I've got to tell you this. And then if you don't know, that's absolutely fine. But I'm going to share the gospel. You can do it now or tomorrow. But at some point, I'm going to preach at you. And I'll just do it at once because we all need to hear this. You know, the truth is, it is a complete waste of a person's life and eternity if they're not reconciled with God through his son, Jesus Christ. We're being mean to people if we don't tell them the good news. We're being mean to people if we don't share with them. 
I was only thinking of someone recently um, that my parents had told me he'd, he'd died in a road accident a few months ago, and I was absolutely gutted. Um, and a few years back, I remember that I had a really good opportunity that I could have shared the gospel with him, and I didn't. And I'm telling you, it is the worst feeling in the world. I, I just felt like someone was punching me in the stomach over and over again. I, I was distraught and inconsolable because I had that opportunity. And the, and the thing is, you think, oh, well, there'll be a better opportunity. And then, and then that person's dead. And you think, no, that was the opportunity I had. Now, the opportunity is the opportunity when it comes to you. you grab the opportunity of both hands. So we're called to share our faith. We are called. We have a mandate. We are we're compelled by love to share the good news of Christ. Now you may be here this evening and you yourself are spiritually lost. And maybe at some point you've made an attempt to, to find God in your life by, by trying to be religious and, and that just didn't work. It didn't work because it doesn't work. Being religious doesn't work. Every single other religion out there is man's search for God. But Christianity is completely unique in that it is God's search for us. In Jesus Christ, God goes looking for us. Notice that this sheep was completely passive in the whole process of being found by the shepherd. That that sheep was was found and carried back to, to the sheep pen. That sheep contributed absolutely nothing to it other than being lost in the first place. To quote the theologian Jonathan Edwards, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. It's by grace you've been saved. Religion's not going to get you there. It's just effort that's just not going to work. So being religious doesn't work. The Pharisees have already spectacularly proved that to us. But maybe you're here this evening and you just think that you've messed up so bad that God could never love you or forgive you. And just a phrase came to me. You know there's that, there's that saying that there's a black sheep in every family. And that may not be the case for some of us. I know in my family I, ha- I have an uncle who's done time in prison, very troubled soul, and so that kind of resonates with me. So maybe you can relate to that. But maybe you specifically are here this evening and, and you have been called a black sheep. That somehow at some point in your life, that kind of, that tag has followed you around, that you say, well, actually, I, I'm a black sheep. Trouble seems to follow you around. You get into all kinds of mess, and the guilt and shame just follows you everywhere. And I just want to say to you this evening, if that's you, if there was a flock of 100 sheep, and only one of those sheep was a, was a black sheep, the shepherd wouldn't even need to count the flock. He would see straight away that that sheep was missing and would go after it. That's the whole point of the gospel, It's the lost soul that Jesus wants. It's the one that says, if I went into church, I'd burst into flames because my life is such a mess. That's the soul that Jesus wants. It's the person who says, I'm so hopeless at being a Christian. My life's a mess. I keep letting God down. I keep trying to be a good Christian. And yet, I'm just so so overwhelmed by what, what a useless Christian I am. That is the soul that Jesus wants. Have you given up trying because Jesus hasn't stopped going after you? Notice that the shepherd goes after the sheep until he finds it. Until he finds it. He doesn't give up looking for it. He doesn't kind of go back empty-handed. He keeps on looking until he finds it. The sheep belongs to the shepherd. The sheep is known and loved by him. 
And he refuses to just give up on it and write it off. He goes looking for it and he doesn't stop until he finds it. Thank God he didn't just stop going after me when I was a wreck in my early 20s. He kept going after me until he found me and rescued me. He goes after you until he finds you and rescues you. That's what Christ does. In Romans 5 verse 6, it says, At just the right time, whilst we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. When you were at your most unlovable, at your worst moment, just in that deepest mire of sin, rebellion against God, he loved you at your worst moment. And he loved you and he sent his son to die for you, to take all of your sin on himself, on the cross, to be crushed under the full weight of the wrath of God, Christ took that sin on the cross. And so when you put your faith in him, his righteousness is imputed to you and God declares you righteous and no longer a sinner. Religion says you better go clean yourself up before you go presenting yourself to God. But Christianity says, whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You cannot out-sin the grace of God. And if you're here tonight... And you don't know him. That is the most beautiful news you'll ever hear. And if you're here tonight and you do know him, that is the most beautiful news you'll ever share. Christ did not go to the cross to die in vain, but to rescue the lost. And last of all, God rejoices when he finds us. He rejoices Notice that the shepherd, when he finds a sheep, he doesn't kind of just drag it out of the hedge and hit it, you stupid animal. What does he do? He picks that sheep up, he puts it on his shoulder, and he goes back rejoicing. and gets all his friends and neighbors together to celebrate with him. You know when you watch TV and some, you know, a football team or rugby team or whatever have won some really important game and, and, and all the players and the substitutes, they all dash onto the pitch and you see the manager just rushing over to jump right into the heart of the celebrations and there's just so much joy and euphoria. They're all jumping around. And as joyful as that celebratory scene is, it is the palest imitation of what goes on in heaven when a sinner repents and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. What we see in this parable is having done everything to save us, God the Father is so elated and overjoyed. And we'll see that at the end in a few weeks' time when we look at the, the parable of the prodigal son. But the Father just runs to the son, my son, my son. He's so overjoyed. And Jesus wants the Pharisees to understand that the true nature and character of God. And that is that God doesn't wait for us to sort ourselves out. And, and get all religious and try and, and find favor with him. But instead, he knows we're lost. He knows we're screwed up. He knows our lives are a mess. And he sends his only son to die and rescue us and save us. And when he finds us and he saves us, he celebrates wildly in heaven. Because his love for us is so wild and so great. That not only would he send his son to die for us. But when he finds us, his joy is so great because his love for us is so great. That is the good news. God loves us so much and he has done everything to, to rescue us. And I'd just like to invite the band to come back and we're just going to, uh, let's all stand for a moment. And just let God do what he wants to do with us this evening. So we're just going to stand and wait on the Holy Spirit.